Welcome to Rad Reading, a bookish podcast where the R stands for Refresh and the D stands for Discover, and where we try to help you do those two things for your reading life. I'm Ronnie Lauren, a best-selling romance author who likes her reading life to be big on variety and full of complicated characters. And I'm Don Alexander, an indie editor who never met a whodunit she didn't want to solve or an intricate plot she didn't want to untangle. We are two very different readers, but two very good friends who love to talk books. Join us as we tackle reading roadblocks, give our best bookish tips, and of course, recommend all the great reads that have kept us turning the pages that week. Let's get started. Welcome back to Rad Reading. I'm Ronnie. And I'm Dawn. And this week, we have a fun one for you guys. Um, It's our Reading Why week. So we have themes each week, and Reading Why means why do you read? What purpose do you pick up books for? What do they do for you? And we wanted to do one since it's November and we're going into the holiday season on reading for comfort. So Dawn, what are we calling our comfort books? We're calling them fuzzy sock books. And I just love that because I am a crazy sock person. So we will have pictures on the social media of our fuzzy socks and y'all should totally share your fuzzy socks with us. Yes, it's definitely fuzzy sock season. I Love just curling up on the couch, putting on my good socks, you know, the socks that you don't wear out actually in public, only the socks you wear at home um, and picking up a good book and reading just for that comfort feeling. So not to be learning things and being super serious and all that, just what's going to comfort you in a very busy season. But Dawn, when you're stressed out and you want a comfort read, what are you reaching for most often? I think it kind of depends on what level of stressed out I'm at. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I just want something that's low angst. It's going to make me laugh because the world just feels so big. And there's tons of other factors out there that are putting pressure on me. But then I've found that I also sometimes when all of that's going on, I want a thriller with like this also heroine who's just going to come in, take care of everything. And I suddenly have like faith in humanity restored there. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a good point to make is that what is going to look like comfort for you may be different than what looks like comfort for someone else. So for me, I tend to, my go-to comfort read is historical romance, just because a, I know it's a romance. So I know I'm going to get my happy ending and historical has all that proper, like polite society stuff. And it just feels cozy to me. The big dresses and the whole thing of they can't be seen in public, you know, kissing or holding hands because they'll be scandalized and all of those things I find very comforting. And then usually YA um, will do it for me too, because YA kind of brings you back to a simpler time. You don't feel like it's a simple time when you're in high school and middle school, but absolutely not. (laughs) Right. But when you're older, you see that the problems that, you know, those books are tackling are often more gentle conflict. Not always. There are some dark YA or intense YA, but um, I'll go to YA for that. So, and y'all know from a Halloween episode that I am comforted by horror, which, you know, is weird, but so weird. So, <laughs> so weird. <laughs> but I come by it naturally. I talked to my mom this morning and she had listened to our Halloween episode and she's been going through um, a stressful time because they lost their house in Hurricane Ida. And so she told me that she picked up the sour candy read that we mentioned in the horror episode. So her comfort reading is also horror. So I, I definitely came by that naturally. <laughs> I was raised that way. It's just being passed down. Right. It's just Except I'm not passing it to my kid because my kid is a chicken when it comes to horror stuff. So he didn't catch it. He didn't catch that from me. But And that is okay. We accept that. Yes. Chickens are all right. Yes. And if you didn't listen to our Halloween episode, 
go back and listen to that one because we do have some friendlier reads too, not just the scary stuff. But but today um, we're going to give you some ideas about what comfort reading could be like, what you can do to enhance that. And then we're going to give you as usual, our book recommendations for each of those kinds of categories. Um, so what's our first category, Dawn, for our comfort reading? Well, you can start off by reading books that are set in a cozy or comfortable setting. So it's something that's not necessarily a hustle and bustle city or dark dystopian future, but something that's just small town, beaches, those kind of settings. Yeah, it could be, and it depends on when you're reading. So if you're reading in the cooler months, you might look for cozy mountain settings and um, different wintry settings. But in the summer, you know, beaches might be comfort, you know, comforting to you. And then books set in small towns. I love a book set in a bookstore or about a library or anything bookish. Like I find that very comforting. So think Hallmark movies, you know, where do they set those Hallmark movies? It's usually in those kinds of places. So, um, and then holiday themed books, if you're into seasonal reading, like we talked about in the fall seasonal episode. So if you want to pick up Christmas themed books or Thanksgiving, I don't know if there's many Thanksgiving themed books, but you never know. (laughs) You can usually find a good dysfunctional family Thanksgiving themed book. You can usually find one where somebody's having to come home for Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. and deal with all of that. Right. Right. And then I find food memoirs a comfortable setting because it's about food. So we, most of us, I think, reach for food when we, you know, want some comfort, things that remind us of our childhood or things that remind us of good times. So food memoirs, hearing people's, how, how the food played a role in their life is always comforting to me, but. Well, and I wanted to say about the books in small towns, I love books set in small towns because you get the sweet, cozy comfort. Oh, this is a nice little grandma lady who lives next door. But then the other side of that is if you've ever lived in a small town, you know, that is not necessarily that world. And so you can get some really good thrillers and suspense set in these small towns because it's not all apple pie the lady who lived next door may have killed her husband and buried him in the garden we don't know (laughs) right right yeah and Dawn and I both have moved to small towns so we are uh, getting that experience in full not the murdered in the garden hopefully but you know it's not quite what it's portrayed as in Hallmark movies I'm telling you, if you ever wanted to be a writer and want to write about a small town, you just need to get hooked up on one of the small town Facebook pages <laughs> and you will have material for a 15 book series. Yes. Dawn sent me a text this week that there was a horse loose on the streets in her neighborhood. Yes. So, and we've had loose cows in mine. So yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. My son called me and said, I'm driving down a major road in town. This is a four lane road that has a median. And he's like, there's an unsaddled horse running down the middle of the median. <laughs> and I'm like, this is where you need to call 911, sweetie. Right, right. <laughs> this sounds like a Disney movie, like the horse is broken free. And it's like, I'm out. I'm on my own. <laughs> well, and he was calling me. So I would put a post up on the Facebook page because that's the kind of stuff that gets put on the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And before I could even put it on there, I pulled it up and there was a post that said, you know, white horse running down this road, come get it. <laughs> and of course, somebody's like, oh, sorry, my horse. <laughs> that's exactly. Somebody was like, my kid left the gate open. We're on our way. And the horse is all fine because there had to be a follow-up post Sure, that the horse is okay. Yeah. So another option when you're looking for books for comfort is looking for books that have either low or very gentle conflict. So meaning it's not your like gut wrenching, totally scary, you know, life threatening kind of conflict. And there are genres that lend themselves to that. 
but you can also find, you can find it all across genres, but rom-coms, um, cozy mysteries. So Don, you tend to, to read cozy mysteries, which means, can you define why it's a cozy instead of a regular mystery? Cozy mysteries are usually, think like Murder, She Wrote, for those of you who are old enough to remember that show. Usually the person who dies is somebody nobody likes. They don't want you to get attached to that character. There's normally not violence on the page. There's some, I've seen a couple where there's a little bit of violence on the page, but there's not graphic violence on the page. The other side of that is there's normally also not love scenes shown on the page. Mm -hmm. And the language is usually very mild. Yes. Yeah, actually, um, I'm reading Cackle right now by, uh, I don't remember the author, I'll put it in the show notes, but it was listed as a cozy horror, um, and I just started it, so I can't comment on if it's good or not, but the first chapter was good, but it had cursing in it, and I'm like, okay, you lose your cozy label, you can't call it cozy Mm -hmm. if there's, you know, F-bombs in it, so yeah, generally cozies mean no cursing, it's just gentle all around, so the, and you said the person's either not liked, or sometimes it's a really old person. Like, right. It's, it's somebody who died before the story even started or like first chapter, they find them. You've never even gotten to meet them. Right. Yes. Yes. It's not a heart wrenching. I can't believe they killed this character person mm-hmm. um, because of my work as an editor. And because I've worked with a lot of cozies and I read a lot of cozies, I can pretty much pick out for you. Who's going to die. <laughs> like if I, if I read the first chapter, I'm like, Oh, you're toast. So. Right. And other genres that you can find some gentle conflict are lighter women's fiction. Now women's fiction can get real sad. So you got to just, and it can. To, yeah, you have to read the reviews or know the author, you know, if you've read the author before that kind of thing to see what level they're writing. Um, some historical romance, so historical romance can go either way. So sometimes there's some dark backstory stuff, but in general, they tend to be lighter. Um, like I said, lighter YA. So fluffier stories where the main conflict isn't life shattering, like my crush won't love me back, you know, that that's the big conflict. Um, and what we call a black moment. So I don't know, you know, it's not, it's kind of a common term, but not unless you're a writer probably, but Dawn, what is a black moment in a book? That is the moment where all is lost. The world has ended. This is the moment where if you are watching a superhero movie, your superhero is going to, looks like he's been defeated. If you're watching a rom-com, this is the, we are never, ever, ever getting back together moment. It's just that very sad character sitting alone in the rain. Right. And black moments can be very, very, very dark in books, right? But if you're looking for a cozy read, there are books that have what we refer to as kind of a gray moment. Like, you know, it's going to work out. They're having this moment where the couple's broken up or they can't figure out who murdered Mr. Smithers, you know, or whatever, that some solution is going to get there and they're not going to wallow in the black moment. So um, I read The Sweet Spot by Trish Dollar. It's not out yet. I blurbed the book. So it's when I, you know, the author quotes on the front of a book, that's what a blurb is. And it had very gentle conflict. And she said she wrote it during the pandemic and she needed a gentle book. So she accomplished that. And it was like, it didn't put me in a dark place when it had the black moment. It was just like, okay, this can be worked out. Like things haven't gone exactly as planned, but this, this is going to be worked out. And so that's comforting. So you don't have to worry about kind of that angst. Now I love a book with angst. So if you find angst, particularly comforting because it's somebody else's problem, not yours, that could be your jam too. So it doesn't necessarily have to, you know, if you're not comforted by cozy, you can be comforted by other stuff. Let me say about Ronnie's books that she writes. 
Hers are not gray moments, just <laughs> FYI. She goes for the darkest dark night of the soul. I tend to like a really dark black moment. I do read books with lighter ones when I'm in the mood for that, but I teach writing classes and one of my things is make your black moment count. <laughs> so yeah, make the reader worry, but that is a style that I just have to, to like, I, I know in a romance, they're going to get back together. So the dark moment can get really dark for me because I trust that this genre isn't going to let me down. They are going to end up together. So it can get really dark because I know it's going to be okay in the end. So that's why I'm okay with dark moments in a book that it's a mystery or a romance or something. Cause I know the end of the day, it's all going to be okay. Just in this moment, it's very tough. And then humorous books. I think Dawn mentioned that one. So funny books, um, anything like, you know, comedian memoirs can fall into that or just uh, romantic comedy has obviously got some humor in it and then children's literature. So do not let people tell you that you can't read middle grade novels. You guys, Harry Potter was middle grade and you know, so many adults read that. So middle grade can be very adventurous. There's a lot of great fantasy novels that are middle grade. So you can escape into a different world and know that it's not going to be terrifying. It's not going to be, you know, so intense because it is written for younger children um, but you, as an adult, you definitely can read that. Dawn, do you read any middle grade ever? Oh, yes. And you mentioned Harry Potter. There's also Lemony Snicket and a series of misfortunate events. There's Percy Jackson and the Olympians. All of those type of books can really be a nice little break. And they're usually, we talked in our um, episode last week about reading through distractions and finding something you can read quickly sometimes. It just kind of gives you that sense of having the escape, but you can't commit to a full deep novel. Middle grade and YA that aren't the super dark angsty YA, those can be that kind of escape for you. Mm-hmm. And I don't edit a whole lot of middle grade and I don't do children's books anything lower than middle grade at all. But I did have a moment um, last year in the middle of everything being super dark and the world falling apart. I was editing one book that was about demons and one book that was about angels and I was have, which were both very, very dark books. And I was having nightmares about the demons and the angels fighting each other. <laughs> and one of my clients sent me a middle grade book and was like, hey, just work this in whenever you have time. I dove into that thing, holding on to it like it was a lifeline. It is about Merlin Rod, who is a dog. And by the way, by the way, just as you said that your dog has come into the background and laid down, it was like, she, she knew <laughs> that dogs were going to be talked about. <laughs> She's like, I am here for you. I should, we should totally put a picture of Penny up on the Facebook page for those who haven't been introduced to Penny. So she sent me this book called Merlin Raj, and it is about a service dog. And it is told through the point of view of the dog. And I just loved it because I went from these angels and demons fighting each other in my head to this sweet little dog who goes with his boy to elementary school every day. And he has an obsession with socks. Hey, it's our, it's our fuzzy sock episode. Perfect. (laughs) I know. Right. He knows he's not allowed to chew on socks except for specific ones, but there's times when the boy's in class and he's laying next to the boy and he's, he's at foot level with everybody. And he starts thinking about what each kind of, what sock would taste like, like (laughs) that pink sock over there would taste like strawberries and the yellow socks. Those are definitely going to be lemony. 
And it was the absolute escape I needed. I finished it. I think I finished it in one day of completely editing because I was like, no, I want to live in this world. Mm -hmm. And that is absolutely okay. That is a great place for that comfort feeling to make you feel better about life. All right. And I, I end up reading middle grade sort of by default because I read books to my son still. So he's, you know, about to turn 14, but we still do the reading at night thing. And um, so I try to find middle grade for him and now we're moving more into YA. So I'm going to be, you know, we're getting past our middle grade years, um, but we're trying the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy right now. So we'll see how that goes. That's, you know, grown up book, but I think one that hopefully will go well. Another category um, for comfort reads, and a lot of people go to this, is rereading some favorites. So you already know what you're getting. You've already know you love the book, or maybe you read it 10 years ago and you don't know how you're going to feel about it now, because I definitely have books like that. And I'm curious of, will it still impact me the way it did 10 years ago or when I was in high school or whenever it was, Um, because high school was definitely more than 10 years ago. (laughs) have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> do, do you do rereading? I don't have a lot of time for rereading, but I, when I do, I have some very specific books I'm going to recommend when we get to that point. But what I love about it is there's no pressure to finish it because you know how it ends mm-hmm. and you already know this world and you can skip to your favorite parts. Like that's allowed when you're rereading. You don't have to go through the, if you don't like the the dark night of the soul that we talked about earlier, you can skip to the happy ending and be like, <laughs> oh, and they lived happily ever after. Okay, all good. Right. Yeah, I want to do this more than I do. Um, I think mainly it's because I like checking off books off my list. I have so many I want to read that to reread is taking a spot from that. But I feel like I could probably benefit from going back to my favorites. Like in the fall episode we talked about campus novels and I talked about the secret history being the OG well I read the secret history like 10 or 15 years ago so I don't even know if I'd like it now I think I would because I loved it then but you know I was a different person 10 or 15 years ago a different reader so it would be interesting to go back and read something but if you find it comforting to reread and a lot of people do I have a lot of readers of my books who tell me you know they're big rereaders so go to that. If you are having trouble focusing, if you're having trouble relaxing, you know what you're getting with a reread. So, well, we want to mention real quick that um, with the rereading, you also have your auto buy authors. And these are the authors that, you know, when that book comes out by that author, you're buying it. You don't even need to know what it's about. You just know that this author is somebody that you enjoy their storytelling style and you want to be a part of whatever new story they're putting out. Right. But we aren't going to go deeply into this because we're so interested in this topic that we are going to make an episode about auto buy authors so that we can talk about who gets on our list for auto buy, which is a hard list to get on you guys. We're both very it big is. readers. <laughs> so to be an auto buy is a high honor. Um, so we're going to put a pin in that and, you know, cover it in a future episode, but Another one is one that we've covered in last week's episode about when you're distracted is finding genres that have more predictability. So if you know, like I was saying with a romance, I know I'm going to get that happy ending. I know that it's going to be an uplifting story. If it's a romance, like that's the goal that I can pick that up knowing that's what I'm picking up. I'm not going to be surprised by they're killing off, you know, the main character or something like that. So look for those kinds of things, romance, mysteries, um, you know, YA can, sort. there's not always prediction, but usually it's not going to be like 
bleak. <laughs> you know? Right. So unless it's like the Hunger Games, although that still had a, you know, it wrapped up eventually. So another way to find something with predictability is if you've watched a movie or TV show and you haven't happened to read the book yet, you can go to that because you know how it ends already. You know what the characters are. And so now you can get the reading experience of it. You can also do the reverse. Obviously, if you read the book, it can be comforting to watch the movie or the TV series. But I find I get more stabby doing the, even though I like reading first before I watch the thing, <laughs> usually I'm more stabby about the thing that I'm watching because I know the book now. So if yes. I watch the movie then and read the book, then I get the enrichment from the book. And, you know, I didn't know the movie wasn't as good <laughs> when I was watching it the first time. Well, and sometimes they can be completely different. Like I know we mm. have talked about my feelings about Ready Player One versus movie versus the book. And I think last week we talked about uh, One for the Money by Janet Ivanovich in the movie versus the book. So sometimes you have to look at them as completely separate things, but sometimes they really get it right. One of my son's comfort reads that we read to them when they were little is the BFG by Roald Dahl. Yes. Yes. And so this was like his book. Like the, if y'all could see the copy of this book, it looks like he slept with it from age like six to 11 and then the movie came out and I don't remember how old he was when the movie came out, but we went to go see it and you could see him like all tense sitting up at the beginning of at the, the front of his seat, like staring at the screen, just waiting. And the whole time I'm thinking, oh, please tell me they did not screw this up. <laughs> <laughs> and you get to the, the, um, first couple of opening scenes and then the moment that the bfg the bfg is the big friendly giant for those of you who are not familiar with the story the moment the bfg appeared on this on the screen i saw him like visibly relax (laughs) like okay it's okay and that one is a great very close storytelling yeah and i was going to put this under a different topic later but i'm going to cover it now since we're kind of jumping to it now but Watching the TV version first or the movie version first, Dawn put in my notes when I said that I do this sometimes, that she doesn't even know me anymore. (laughs) So I used to be a purist. You read the book first, period. But then I've had a couple of experiences where I watched the TV show or something first and it made me want to read the book. So the book that I recommended last week, You by Caroline Kepnes, I didn't even know the book existed. So I saw the TV show, watched the TV show. And then I was like, Ooh, I need to read this book. So I went backwards on that one. Normal people by Sally Rooney is a literary fiction novel, not something that would have caught my attention, not my usual reading thing, but they did a show. I think it was, I don't know if it was Hulu or Netflix for normal people, but I watched it and I loved the show. So then I was like, okay, now I can read the novel. I don't know if I would have stuck with the novel had I read it first. Like I needed the mm-hmm. context in order to stick with, you know, a more deep literary kind of novel. So I've had a couple of good experiences now where I watched first and read second, and I found it very comforting to do that. So if, you know, you're, I know it's the wrong way, <laughs> but okay, we are accepting. <laughs> If you want Dawn to send you, you know, a mean face, I feel like you did it the reverse. No, she wouldn't do that. She is very accepting. So 
I will tell you that is not as shocking to me because I can understand that logic. I see, mm-hmm. I see where you're going. I, I still have my own opinions on it, but I see where you're going with it. That is not as shocking to me as the day I found out that my daughter, who at one point when she was in middle school, we cleaned her room and she had 14 books in bed with her. Like <laughs> she had a full size bed and had basically a library on one side of it. I found out she reads the end of the book first. Oh no. (laughs) And I was just stunned, but going with our comfort read, she said that she did that because she wanted to know that it was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I could see how that could be anxiety relieving. So I get, I don't do that, but I get that. If you you know, no one should do that. (laughs) (laughs) But I will tell you it's, it's, has nothing to do with books, but sometimes my husband has to start taping a football game before we can watch it. Like we have some event Mm -hmm. or something we have to go to. So we're like half an hour behind when we get home to watch the football game and he'll just skip through the commercials. Sometimes if the game is really anxiety provoking for me, I will Google the score and not tell him (laughs) if he listens to this, he's going to be appalled. You guys, (laughs) my husband would be gasping in shock right now. Yeah. Like I get so anxious about, I, it's mainly for LSU football. Cause that is, I, I'm a college football person. That's my team and we've had a rough season. So, you know, I'm kind of already at that point, but if it's tense, sometimes I can't hang, handle the anxiety. So I will Google and not tell him. So I hope he's not listening to this because it's my, my deep secret. <laughs> All right. But back to books of uh, another thing that you might find comforting and you, your mileage may vary, you guys, but sometimes a cry book, a book that will make you cry can be cathartic and comforting. So a lot of times if someone has trouble, um, and when I say someone, I mean me, <laughs> has trouble releasing the emotion or anxiety that you're going through, like you're kind of just balled up with tension and I'm not one who cries easily. So as much of an empathetic person, I feel like I'm a I pick up on other people's feelings very easily, but I'm one to hold them in instead of let them out. So sometimes a book like can push that button that I need to, to just cry. Um, And that release chemically is actually very, you know, it's proven that can be very much a comfort and catharsis. So sometimes Dawn, I do pick up a book for comfort that will make me cry. I don't understand. I don't, I am a super high empathy person and I am a sympathetic crier. Mm-hmm. So like, if you started crying right this minute, I just start crying with you, even though I had no, idea. like, did you stub your toe or is the world ending? <laughs> I, I can cry at car commercials. I do not need books that make me cry. So I actively avoid those. Mm-hmm. And I distinctly remember uh, the book, The Fault in Our Stars. Mm -hmm. I did not read that. I knew I wasn't going to read that. And I got, we were at a book at a uh, writing conference and I got a hysterical crying call from my daughter who was in middle school at the time and was being escorted to the counselor's office because she was reading the book and got so upset. She was sobbing in the middle of class. And, and I always feel really sorry for that teacher that had to be like, (laughs) okay, we're sending you to the counselor out of my classroom. Um, So this does not work for me. I do cry at books. Mm -hmm. 
and I've had a couple that I'll be editing and I'll be like, and I know it's coming. I know what's going to happen because I've already talked to the author and we've already lined up that this is the, but I still, when I get there, I'm like, okay, it's all right. And these are imaginary people. So that is not my thing, but I'm glad it works for y'all. Yeah. And I do have my limits. So books with cancer, medical stuff, I'm out. So I have my limits. I don't like those cry books. I like I'll talk about what I, the ones I like. I have suggestions later, so I'm not going to spoil that. But in addition, we'll totally switch now. Yes, complete opposite end of that. You know, <laughs> to sometimes for comfort, you'd like something to keep you a little warm. So maybe something steamy. And we have got some steamy suggestions. I'm excited to get to those. Yes, yes. And besides types of books, um, some other things that you can do if you're, if your purpose is to get comfort from reading is to do comforting bookish activities. So list some of those things for us, Don. What, what would you be comfortable? Oh, by? just, and we haven't been able to do this in so long, but just wandering through a bookstore, mm-hmm. like wandering through a bookstore or through a library. And even if you don't take anything home with you, it's just the comfort of it's kind of quiet in here then I can touch all of these things and I can pick this up and I can read it and I can put it back down or I can sit over here. All of that is just such an escape from just the world. Yeah. I find it really life affirming, I think, because bookstores and libraries, because I realize that I will never run out of things to read. So there's something very comforting about that. Like no matter how much I read, there's always so many books and so many stories left for me to read. So I find that very comforting. But um, if you're nerdy like me, I also find the activity of organizing my books in my TBR pile. And that could be virtually or it can be Dawn is shaking her head at me or my office. Dawn doesn't do this. (laughs) Y'all, when I get to like pick through my books on my shelves and rearrange them into a different order or a different style, or sometimes like I arrange some of them by color and sometimes I'll arrange them by genre. And like just that whole activity of moving the books around is so soothing. So I know I'm a weirdo and a nerd, but I probably am not alone. And some of you weirdo and nerds are listening to this and totally understand. So, well, and I appreciate when Ronnie does that because usually it ends up with boxes of books in the back of her car (laughs) and us standing in a parking lot with her going, okay, do you want this one? How about that one? Oh, this one was really good. So I fully support her (laughs) rearranging all of her shelves. We moved into this house in July and I had had to pack up all my books and I actually lost two bookshelves in the, I didn't lose them. They weren't misplaced, but they no longer fit in my office in the new place. And so I had to make some hard choices, which I got that, but I have all of my books on my shelves now and those will be added to, but they will not be rearranged until something forces that for me. So weird to me. (laughs) I'll come over and rearrange them. Do you want them in color order? (laughs) Another thing I like to do, and this will pop up in a future episode or an upcoming episode is I like making list of my books. So this is what I used to do in my blog, my favorites of the month. And then my favorites of the year, what was my favorite in each category? All of those things I find very, um, soothing and comforting to do, especially at this time of the year, because it's wrapping up the year. So I like to look back and how many books did I give five stars to? And what were my favorites and all of that? So we will be doing a superlative episode where we give our faves of the year um, sometime in December. So look for that coming up. So I'll get to nerd out and, you know, share that with you guys this year instead of just doing it on my own. 
Well, and I'm excited about that because, because of the nature of my job, I get to read some really amazing books long before they come out Mm -hmm. and I can't talk about them yet, but some of them that I'm really excited about will be out by the end of the year. So I'm going to be like, okay, now we got to do, you need to read this and you need to read this. And I can say all the things about it. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that. And then we've talked about this in a previous episode. If you missed our book journaling episode, go back. It's so far one of our most popular episodes. So if you've missed it, go and check on it. But Dawn, are you fully on board now with the book journal train? I so heart my book journal. It's my favorite thing. And I play with it all the time. And I, I guess I should put some more pictures up for y'all. But those of you who have done the book, who heard the book journal episode and have started your own, we would love to see pictures. So yes, I am totally down with, I make my little page. And now when I'm reading, I will think about, oh, I'm going to put that because I like to put quotes mm-hmm. in the book journal. And so I like to figure out what quote I'm going to put in there, but book journaling, I need some new stickers. <laughs> And this is just putting this out here. I need dragon stickers because (laughs) of course you do. I mean, (laughs) of course I do. What is my life without dragons? So I need some dragon stickers. So if ever anybody out there listening to us has a good hookup for some dragon stickers, let me know because I've got two different books that I desperately need a dragon sticker for. I'll keep an eye out. I literally probably have 20,000 stickers in my in my files of stickers behind me, but I don't think I have any dragons. So I'm dragon free. It's amazingly hard to find. And because I need like some like grown up scary looking dragons, I can find like cutesy little smiley ones. And the ones I read about were not cutesy little smileys. (laughs) So I need some like growly dragons. Gotcha. Yeah. And for me, the end of the year means setting up my book journal for next year. So I'm looking forward to that process because I, even though I may keep the same physical notebook, if it's not finished, I do a fresh title page and all of my list pages and I decorate those. So I'll be doing that in the next couple of weeks. And then another thing you can do in your community is if you've never heard of it, there's this whole movement of little free libraries. So you can put them in your neighborhood, you can put them in your front yard. And it's literally just like a little stand. That's almost like a mailbox size, you know, a little bigger than that, but sometimes they're shaped like a house and, you know, people get really creative with them. Ours in our neighborhood is just, we have a um, community mailbox. And so they have a package box that's just dedicated to the little free library. And what that means is your neighbors come and take a book and they put one of their books in and switch it out and people can constantly add to it and take from it. And it can be really fun to start one. So if your neighborhood doesn't have one, I would recommend Googling little free library. And there's an organization that'll tell you how to do it. And there's a little insignia, you know, like an official thing that you can put on the box and all of that. So that would be a fun, you know, holiday activity to do, especially with your kids too, if they want to put their own books out there to share. That does sound fun. I know next week we're going to be talking about letting go of reader shame and not being ashamed of what we're reading, but I'm just going to put it out there that several of the books I read do not need to end up in the little free library <laughs> out in front of my house. We're new to this neighborhood. That's going to give some people some weird impressions. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually in the same spot right now. I have three boxes of books to donate somewhere. And I was like, I can put some of these in the little free library, but I'm like, I really have to go through and cull because a lot of them are like super sexy romances and things. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know this neighborhood yet. I've lived here two years, but two years in a pandemic. So we haven't gotten to know everybody yet. So I don't know <laughs> how that would be received. <laughs> so we're going to see, we're going to work on that. But um, another thing you can do is 
set up a cozy reading spot. So in your house, all of us probably have a general spot that we like, but take some extra care during this season. If you're going to make it cozy, add a blanket, you know, put some new pillows there, some seasonal items or something that's going to make it extra cozy. Well, and I have to separate because I do so much reading for my job that I do reading for my job at my desk in my office. And whenever I'm doing reading for pleasure, I'm sitting in my chair or I'm sitting in the recliner or I am reading in bed, but I have to make that boundary there Mm -hmm. so that I switch from editor Dawn to just reader Dawn. Yeah. I do the same thing. I don't, I mean, obviously I don't edit, but well, I edit my own, you know, on some level, (laughs) but yeah, I do leave my office to read. So I don't, I need to separate work from, from pleasure reading, but um, another thing you can do, especially in the ho- at the holiday time, is make a recipe inspired by something that you read. Some books actually come with recipes, you know, but if it's not that kind of book, for instance, in my book, um, What If You and Me, the Hero is a Chef, or he's, in a, he's a firefighter and she's, the heroine's trying to talk him into, you know, being a chef, but he's teaching her how to make things because she doesn't know how to cook anything. And so I've had readers email me because they make a recipe called dragon noodles. And they're like, is that a real recipe? That sounded delicious. So it is a real recipe from a website called Budget Bites. And so I've been emailing readers multiple times of, (laughs) it's this recipe, it is delicious and we cook it because I don't put recipes in my books or I don't mention recipes in my books that I haven't made. So anything that you see, if they're cooking something in my book, um, I've made that, so, and it's good. So if you need it, I have those recipes, but I find that can kind of enhance a book is that, okay, now I'm going to make the apple pie, you know, that this bakery, you know, has or something themed. It doesn't even have to be a specific recipe from that book. It could just be themed with the book. Yeah. I don't think I've ever done that just because we've talked before. We have very different feelings about food and you cook, I provide meals. So there's a (laughs) difference there. Um, But I have had where I was reading and I get inspired to go find that food. Mm-hmm. Like there's times I've been reading and, oh, they're in a Mexican food restaurant. And we all know how we right. feel about Mexican food, but they're in a Mexican food restaurant and they're having fajitas. And I'm like, hey, honey, guess what we're having for lunch? You know, <laughs> because I need to go seek that out. Now, one thing I did do is in Janet Ivanovich's Stephanie Plum series, she constantly talks about how this one character, Ranger, who is super hot, <laughs> Ranger smells like a certain body wash. Hmm. And so a friend of mine and I actually hunted down where you could find that body wash and went and sniffed. So I think that's <laughs> kind of similar. Sure, maybe. it enhances the experience. Yeah, I had this happen to me over the weekend because I was stuck at my son's band competition thing. And I had, the only book I had on me was what was on my phone. And it was Cooking at Home by David Chang and Priya. Can't remember the last name, I'll put it in the show notes, but it's a cookbook, but it's not really a cookbook. There aren't like recipes. It's how to learn how to cook on your own without a recipe basically. But he was describing beef pho, the Vietnamese soup, P-H-O. And I wanted it so bad. (laughs) So as soon as like my son wrapped up, my husband's like, what do you want to go eat? And I'm like, we have to find a Vietnamese (laughs) restaurant like right now. So, and we did, and it was delicious. Yes. So it was an emergency, a fu emergency. <laughs> okay. And then Dawn, you had one that you had put in our notes that I had forgotten. And you said, you cannot leave this. <laughs> you left off the most important one. And that is talking to people about books who love books as much as you do. And that is why we started this because mm-hmm. every time we would get together, we would talk about books. 
I have a friend who um, is a part of a mom group and she and I always get together a little bit before the whole mom group meets so that we have time to talk about all the stuff we're reading. So it's really great to be able to talk about the books. You get the recommendations, but you also, if you're talking about a book you both read, you have that kind of uh, that all oh, the shared experience moment that makes it great. Or if you both hate the book, you can also yeah, <laughs> for that. Yeah, we talk about those too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a great point, not just because obviously that's what we're doing on this podcast is talking to each other about books, but at holiday time, sometimes we're doing so many different planning activities and stuff for our families that sometimes you need a girl's night. Just you know, get together for the holiday, have some wine, bring a book that you recommend to each, you know, like pick one for one friend, each friend buys one for somebody else, you know, that they think they'll like, and then talk about why you recommended that book. So there's all kinds of different bookish things you can do to just mainly give you a reason to go eat chips and salsa and drink margaritas with your friends, you know, during the holidays, we can all use that. Well, and when you're in those awkward family gatherings and things are starting to get tense, it's always great to be able to be like, oh, so I read this book. And then you just, this is from the super extroverted person. Then you just keep rambling about it (laughs) until whatever tension people were building up fades away. Right. Or they wander away. (laughs) Follow me for more family holiday tips. Right. All right. So now that we've discussed kind of all the things that we find comforting or that we hope that you find comforting, we have some recommendations for you. So we're going to break down each of those mini genres or subgenres that we talked about and give you recommendations for those. Yes. And so one of mine for something that's in a cozy or comfortable setting, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to settings. I realized that it's not something I base my reading on. But one that I've really enjoyed is the Vangie Vale series by R.L. Stine. She recently re-released these. They were released originally under the Match Baker Mysteries, I think was the name of it. And they all had food in the titles. So it was the Murdered Macaroon and the Corpseless Custard. She's rebranded them. And it's a cozy mystery series. And they're set in Montana. In this small town in Montana, in my, I've never been to Montana. In my mind, Montana is always covered in snow and is really far away. So it's got this great cast of side characters. It's kind of like Murder, She Wrote meets Longmire because there is a little bit, it's, it is very cozy, but some of the, the crimes are a little bit darker than you would expect. And Vangie, who is the um, main character, is a pastor in town. And so you kind of have the conflict of her being a pastor, but she's also this amateur sleuth. And it's not what I would consider um, inspirational fiction or Christian fiction or anything like that. It's just, that's what her job is. And there are recipes included. I've never tried any of them, but there's recipes included. Well, a macaron's hard to make. So I think I'd be intimidated to, to try the murdered macaron. But um, my recommendation for a cozy or comforting setting is a book called hope for the holidays by Allison Kent. This is a novella. So it's small towns. You get that small town feel. It's only 82 pages. So if you're busy during the holiday season, you can go ahead and, you know, read something quick, but I'm just going to read you the back cover copy. Now I will say before I start, it is part of a series, but I didn't read this in the order of the series or anything. I actually read this for a contest. So I judged the book for a contest. And so I was able to jump in and not have you know, read the other ones and I was fine. But the back cover is sometimes a first love needs a push or a pregnancy. 
Priscilla Reddy has returned to Hope Springs following a breakup she should have seen coming. The small Texas hill country town is where she wants to raise her child. But on her first day back, she runs into the reason she left, the man whose life she ruined. Carrie Browning was a geek in high school and remains a geek today. His work as a comic book creator gives children hope and a survivor to cheer them on. But now that Scylla's back, he can't escape memories of his own damaged past or what he did to protect her. Is Hope Springs big enough for both of their secrets and a future? So I loved that there was a lot of backstory packed into the novella without it weighing it down. So I felt like I really knew the characters and I believed their conflict. And then I really liked that the hero was a comic book writer. I love when heroes and heroines have unique jobs. So I really like that aspect. And it gave me a good taste of this author's writing. I hadn't read her before. So I really liked the whole feel of it. It had good emotion to it. And, you know, I mentioned in the last episode, I don't like babies in my books. And this one, (laughs) there's a pregnancy there. So that's usually not my jam, but it won me over it. I really liked it. So very nice. Well, and I'm excited about your next recommendation because you have that it is a mashup of Pride and Prejudice and Bridget Jones's Diary. And I loved Bridget Jones's Diary. So yes. And Bridget Jones is based on Pride and Prejudice too. So it's all kind of layered on top of each other, but this is Lady Bridget's Diary by Maya Rodale. And what I love, the reason why I put this one in this section is not just because it's a cozy or comforting thing, but um, because we didn't talk about the fact that if something is inspired by something else, so if it's inspired by Pride and Prejudice and you know that story, that's also another layer of that comfort. It's not a reread, but it has that feeling of a reread that you know Mr. Darcy is going to be, anybody with the name Darcy in the book is going to have a certain personality type, (laughs) right? So it gives you a little bit of like a map already when you're picking up the book, even though it's a new book. So it's like rereading without rereading. But um, so yes, it was described as a mashup of Pride and Prejudice, Bridget Jones, and a little bit of Mean Girls put into historical romance. And there actually are some quotes like from the movies and stuff that you can like pick up if you're like from Mean Girls and things. But Some readers, according to Goodreads reviews, found the plot elements too similar to those previous works. But like I said, I think that's what makes it a comforting read because it's familiar. But here's the background. Lord Darcy, see, we know, we know what personality he's going to have. Yes, I instantly have a picture. (laughs) Yes, is the quintessential Englishman, wealthy, titled, impossibly proper, and horrified that a pack of Americans has inherited one of England's most respected dukedoms. But his manners, his infamous self-restraint, and his better judgment fly out the window when he finds himself with the maddening American girl next door. Lady Bridget Cavendish has a grand but has grand but thwarted plans to become the perfect lady and take the ton by storm. In her diary, Bridget records her disastrous attempts to assimilate into London high society, her adoration of the handsome rogue next door, her disdain for the dreadful Lord Darcy, and some truly scandalous secrets that could ruin them all. It was loathing at first sight for Lady Bridget and Lord Darcy, but their paths keep crossing and somehow involve kissing. When Lady Bridget's diary goes missing, both Darcy and Bridget must decide what matters most of all, a sterling reputation or a perfectly imperfect love. So if you've read the books or seen any of those movies, you can see the elements that pop up. Mm -hmm. And like, I just want to read it again now that I read that because it just is delightful. Just delightful. Well, and I love that it's a pack of Americans, right? (laughs) Those damned Americans. (laughs) Right. And our next... uh, type was books with low or gentle conflict. So Dawn, why don't you kick us off with a low gentle conflict book? So this one is Accidentally in Love with a Biker, and it's from a What Happens in Vegas, which is kind of a series. It's one of those um, collaborations where several different authors write the same world, kind of. 
So um, this is by Terry Ann Stanley. And it's very short. It's only 181 pages. And it is laugh out loud funny. And I picked this up actually the week after I lost my mom. Hmm. And picked it up because I was like, I just need something hilarious. The story is very familiar because it's a fake boyfriend trope. And I like those sometimes and they've got to be done just right. And this one is done very well. The main character, Kelly, is a bookstore owner by day, but is an erotic romance author by night. And she is in Vegas for a conference to try to make a last ditch effort to sell her manuscript, which will save her her bookstore. And she is rear-ended by a biker on a motorcycle. It's a quick read. It's very sexy. Got a lot of great secondary characters. What I loved about it was that we have been to many writing conferences. And if you have ever been to a writing conference, or really if you've been to a conference at all, you're going to recognize some of the things that happen. And it's was slightly over the top sometimes, but it was really funny. The laugh out loud scenes, there's a seriously intense but fake sex scene that happens. And then the there's a dinner with other writers that's told through the hero's point of view, which made me think of how my husband must feel when we all get together. And so. Okay, you guys, I know you were just listening to Dawn explain Accidentally in Love with a Biker by Terry Ann Stanley, but a little thing happened in between where I was taking off a fleece jacket which should have been an innocent thing to do while Dawn was talking. However, it went across my microphone and sparked static electricity, which shot up my earbuds and shocked my ear and blew out my mic completely. <laughs> which I should not be laughing at, but y'all can't see Ronnie and I can. And all I saw was her grab her ear and then start talking very rapidly, but I couldn't hear anything. <laughs> so then we proceeded after we did that and, you know, rebooted the whole computer and everything, we proceeded to record the last part of this episode. However, when I went to edit it, my microphone was completely blown out and I sounded like I was talking from inside a barrel. So it's a week later, you've traveled in time with us. Yes. And now we're back. Welcome. <laughs> the future's great um, to finish up this episode. So sorry if this sounds any different from the first part of this episode, but that is why if you, it sounds a little different for you. So all right, Dawn, you want to wrap up Accidentally in Love? <laughs> Accidentally in Love with the Biker is a great book by Terry Ann Stanley, and you should read it. It's a lot of fun. I have no idea what point I was making before the whole world exploded right then, but I'm sure it was fascinating. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> okay. All right. So my next recommendation is Sex, Lies, and Online Dating by Rachel Gibson. So this was a used bookstore find, which sometimes me and Dawn will just go wander used bookstores and see what's out there. So this is from 2006. Here's a little bit from the back cover copy. What is it about men anyway? Bad cars, bad jobs, even bad teeth. Nothing convinces them that they can't snare a size two bay with a D cup chest. And after way too many internet, internet dates with men named Lovestick and Big Daddy 182, Lucy should know. But sitting across from her now is hard loving man. And he seems different, sensitive, honest, and hot. He says he's a plumber while Lucy claims she's a nurse. She's really a mystery writer dating online while researching her next book. Hey, everyone lies a little, don't they? But Quinn's really an undercover cop hunting down a serial killer and he sees Lucy as his top suspect. And while he could go for this really smart, sexy woman with the killer bod, but that's the only thing killer about her, he knows he needs to wine and diner and discover the truth. Hey, he realized that the dating scene could be deadly, but this is ridiculous. So you can tell from that back cover copy, that back cover copy would not be written now. <laughs> right. It, <laughs> it sounds very 2006, 
with the language of hot bods and all of this stuff. However, the story does hold up. So it or holds up. I can finish words. It holds up. Um, it's really cute and it's sexy. And I like that it was about our writer and her writer friends, because I definitely can relate to that. And since rom-com is really hot again, um, this is really like where it's, you know, the old school chick lit books. I say old school 2006, but um, all those books in the 2000s were kind of the seed that eventually became the rom-coms that we have now. So it's kind of good, you know, sometimes to go back and read the older stuff to see how it's changed, but it really did hold up. I enjoyed the book. Well, and with those names on there for the um, online dating profiles, one thing that was so much fun back when I was teaching is that we would have to put in the parents' emails sometimes, like you would send out a, a form and they would put their email in there. Some people needed to reconsider <laughs> their email addresses before you sent that to school. Yeah. Like yeah. it's really hard for me to take you seriously as a parent when I'm emailing hot bunny to XX, <laughs> just say it. Yeah. And I'm someone who met my husband online in the AOL days back when people weren't online dating wasn't a thing. And so, yes, my husband met me as psyche was my, one of my, <laughs> my screen names. So, you know, but it works. We fell like in love a- and been in love a long time. <laughs> Isn't that like a um, mythological goddess? Yes. I think I was into mythology at the time. I was in college and very pretentious. So, yes. <laughs> yes. yes. And I was a psychology major. So, you know, kind of on the nose. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That totally fits. Yeah. Totally, right. totally fits. All right. Our next section, we were talked about rereading. So, Dawn, you said you sometimes do rereading for comfort. So, what are some of your favorite rereads? So I like to go back and reread the books that I read as a teenager, or I read it as a, at a different point in my life, because I really think your perspective on it changes. So of course, angsty teenage Dawn was into anything written by Essie Hinton. The Outsiders is one of my most favorite books in the whole wide world. So I have read it multiple, multiple times, but I also, one of my other favorites is A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Lingle. And it is just a super comfort read for me because it was, I did a whole blog post about this and we'll link it in the show notes, but it was one of the first books that I remember an adult sitting down and reading it just to me. So that was one of my favorites. And then of course, anything by Judy Bloom. I love her high school level YA stuff. Some of her adult stuff is okay, but I never really got into that. I was into forever and tiger eyes. And um, then again, maybe I won't. So those are my favorites. Mm-hmm. And it's just that comfort feeling of, I know what's going to happen. I can skip to my favorite parts. I don't have to go through the whole angst of everything if I don't want to. Right. So, right. yeah. And I don't do a lot of rereading, but how you describe it, <laughs> it makes me wistful to do it because a Ringle in Time was one of the books that made me want to be a writer. So I haven't read it since I was a kid and I consider it one of my favorite books. And I don't know if it still would be if I read it now. So it'd be interesting to see the difference. And I do this more with TV shows. So I'm a rewatcher of TV shows. Like, and if you do get that different perspective that way too, like I rewatched my so-called life, which was one of my favorites back when I was a teenager, because I was the age of the character when I was watching it. So I totally related to Angela. And then I rewatched it. And I was like, oh my God, I'm totally relating to the parent. She was such a pill. <laughs> you know? What has happened to me? <laughs> what has happened? 
So, although I'm still, I'm still here for Jordan as Jared Leto playing Jordan still, I'm still good with that, but yeah, so I get comfort from that. So I probably would get comfort from rereading. I just, I think it's cause I'm always trying to add to my list, you know, of books read that I don't pick up the rereads, but our next category that we talked about were books with more predictability. So Dawn, this is a book that you can kind of know what's going to happen, but the journey there is the point. So what are some of your recommendations for books with more predictability? Well, you know, romance gets a bad rap sometimes because everybody talks about how it is very predictable. And that's what's comforting about it. It's comforting to know these people are going to get together. And it's comforting to know, as we've talked about, like with some of the mysteries and thrillers, that this is going to get solved. That's also why you have to let people know if you're writing a book with a cliffhanger. But um, yes, please. So (laughs) yes, please. Because we'll still pick up your book with the cliffhanger, but we want to know going in. And so um, one of my favorite romances is a completely over-the-top rom-com. It is um, by Nadia Lee, and it is called Stealing the Bride. And it is just, it's a lot of fun. It is the story of a guy who meets a girl at a club, and he's a billionaire. And so he doesn't tell her who he is. They do the whole, let's not exchange names. Let's, you know, use fake names saying for one night. They go and have an amazing night in a hotel room. And when he wakes up the next morning, she's gone and she left him $50 on the dresser. (laughs) And he is absolutely offended by that. (laughs) And there is a great scene in it because he has two older brothers that he goes to for help. And in true older brother fashion, they are not helpful at all because they, they're very much um, speculating on why he only got left $50. And so they're not, they're not complimentary in any way for him. But he hires somebody to find this girl because he wants to know why she, why $50? And he finds out she's getting married. Hmm. And so that's where Stealing the Bride comes from. And the first sentence of this book, because we talk a lot about first lines and how they draw you in and that kind of thing. The first line of this book is, the bride is over my shoulder, wriggling like a trout caught between a bear's paws. And it's true, my paw is on her butt. So maybe she feels like a trout, even though we're on a beach and there are no bears in Maui and she is screaming like a banshee. (laughs) There's an opening line for you. Yes. Well, my pick in this category is Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. Now, this is probably not news to many of you because this book was everywhere. It was a huge book, but it's a kind of alternate history book where we have a female president and her son um, is Alex Claremont Diaz. So he's the first son. And I'm just going to read the back cover because I'm not good at summarizing you guys, but First son, Alex Claremont Diaz, is the closest thing to the prince this side of the Atlantic. With his intrepid sister and the Beep's genius granddaughter, they're the White House trio, a beautiful millennial marketing strategy for his mother, President Ellen Claremont. International socialite duties do have downsides, namely when photos of a confrontation with his longtime nemesis, Prince Henry, at a royal wedding leaked to the tabloids and threaten American-British relations. The plan for damage control, staging a fake friendship between the first son and the prince. As President Claremont kicks off her re-election bid, Alex finds himself hurtling into a secret relationship with Henry that could derail the campaign and upend two nations. What is worth the sacrifice? How do you do all the good you can do? And most importantly, how will history remember you? So this is a really funny, sexy, sweet LGBTQ romance, um, killer writing. So, you know, I'm a nerd about 
great writing. So really great writing, good descriptions and metaphors. And I would call it very voicey. So that's a term, you know, writers use the voice is how the writer uses words and how they use sarcasm and how, you know, how it's all put together. So this is a high um, level of voice in this book. Some people don't like really voicey books, but I, I love a voicey book. And it was the winner of the Goodreads Choice Award in 2019. So a lot of people liked it. Although I don't know about those winners of the, you know, or the nominations for the Goodreads Choice. I feel like they're more popularity contests of the books that were most read. But in this case, I actually agreed with who won. <laughs> so, and then my last one in this section, obviously y'all all have heard of it, but Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. We were talking about earlier in this episode, all the way last week when we were talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> We were talking about like Bridget Jones's diary and books that are based on Pride and Prejudice. And I had watched a lot of retellings or things that were based on it, but I hadn't actually read the book. So I'd seen the movie, but so many stories use this as a blueprint. So, you know, if you hear a Darcy name and all of that, that it's a Pride and Prejudice book, that it really is worth going back and reading the original and it reads really well. So it's not so old fashioned that you can't understand it. It's not one of those intimidating classics that you need like a cliff note sitting next to you. Um, so if you are a fan of the retellings, I suggest if you haven't read the original, go back and read the original. So it is comforting because you already know the tropes too. If you've seen the movies right. and read all the other retellings, you know kind of what to expect, which can help you with that comfort thing of, of knowing what's coming. Well, and then we get to the part that I don't understand at all, but this is totally going to be you of reading the books that make you cry. Right. So we talked about how I do enjoy a cry book sometimes, not all the time. I have to be in a certain mood, but I do have a couple for you. I have one that's really, truly like cry book. And then one that's a little lighter, just a little misty eyed book. So my deep cry, if you really need a deep cry, Dawn's laughing, um, is 19, mini, 19 minutes by Jodi Picoult. So Yes, I know. Jodi Picoult. I used to literally be scared of anything that had her name on it. Cause I'm like, somebody going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, people going to die. And I don't want to cry. Um, Cause I used to not, I used to be scared of cry books, but I decided to give her a try because I had written um, a book series called the ones who got away, which is a romance series, but it's based on people that survived a school shooting and it's 10 years later and you know they fall in love and find happy, happily ever after. But I have this kind of obsession with books that are about school shootings judge me for that, if you will, but I'm fascinated um, by the psychology of it and all that. So I hadn't read this one before the ones who got away. Um, and I'm glad I didn't, cause I probably would have been intimidated because this one's so well-written that I would have been like, I can't write anything on this topic. It's already been done, but it didn't feel like emotional manipulation. So I don't want to cry book that <laughs> I feel like is just wrenching my emotions just to make me cry, like just for the purpose of it. Um, I didn't feel like this was that I feel like it was a story that needed to be told and that it happened to be, you know, have sad parts. So it is, um, this is the back cover in 19 minutes. You can mow the front lawn, color your hair, watch a third of a hockey game in 19 minutes. You can bake scones or get a tooth filled by a dentist. You can fold laundry for a family of five in 19 minutes. You can stop the world or you can just jump off it in 19 minutes. You can get revenge. So that's just the beginning of the blur, but it's set in a small town in New Hampshire there is a school shooting. So trigger warning for all of that, but this is really about the aftermath of that. You know, it, you know, you do see the day, but it's about the aftermath of that and the shooter survives. So he's got to go to court. And so the main character of the book is a judge and her daughter was in the shooting. She survived too, but she's in the shooting. So she's got this personal connection and now she's got to be in charge of the case. So if you like a courtroom drama, it has a lot of that courtroom stuff that I really liked 
but the characterization and how she showed all sides of it, like the parent of the shooter and what his background was and why, what his reasons were and what led him to that. Like, it makes you think about it in a different way. And that's what I love more than anything about a book is what you think, you know, if you judge something quickly of this is how it is, um, you know, it's not always that way. There are reasons and not that there's an excuse for things, but I think the way she did it was so well done. Now I will warn you guys, it's a long book. And I think the publisher wanted to save money on paper. (laughs) So the print book has itty bitty, tiny print, like tiny, tiny print. And I don't need reading glasses, but I thought this book was going to make me have to have them. So if you have any issues with your eyes, I highly recommend getting the ebook so you can just make it the size you want, because I was like, whoa, this is, it's a lot (laughs) of words on this page. Um, So yeah, just fair warning on that, but it was a five star for me. And I'm really stingy with those in my book journal. I wrote that it was masterful, that it was long, but it didn't feel slow. And it's a masterclass in characterization. So I highly recommend it. Um, Dawn, you'll never read this. No, no. As a teacher, (laughs) no, I would never recommend this, but I was laughing to myself when you were talking about the itty bitty tiny print because I think one of the moments I realized that I did need reading glasses was I sent you a screenshot from my Kindle to show you something that had been said in a book. And your response wasn't what was said in the book. It was, oh my God, what size font are you using? <laughs> there were like 10 words on the page. Right? It was like a billboard. <laughs> so yeah, so I wear reading glasses all the time. So the idea of the little bitty print, no, no, I'll, I'll totally get that and blow that up. Yeah, yeah. Um, my next one is Gentler Crying. So it's my kitchen year, um, 136 recipes that saved my life by Ruth Reichel. So this one, like I said, is more gentle. It's by the former editor of Gourmet Magazine. And she's writing in the year after Gourmet Magazine shut down. So she's grieving this business that she built, this job that she had. Um, and there are recipes in it, but they're super fancy recipes because it was Gourmet Magazine. So I didn't read it as a cookbook. I felt like this was a food memoir that happened to have recipes in it. Um, and what I wrote for my book journal back in May of 2020 was, This was exactly what I needed to read right now during this pandemic. This was about grief and slowing down and appreciating the small things. I read it for the memoir and the beautiful writing, not for the cookbook portion. Um, So if you're looking for something, if you like a food memoir and you're looking for something that's, you know, about grief, but it's gentler, it's not somebody died, um, you know, that you just kind of want somebody that's processing their feelings about a tough time. um, This was a really great one. So, and it's a beautiful uh, physical book. So that one get in print. Nice. Well, and now we get to the fun stuff (laughs) because when we're talking about these comfort reads and talking about, you know, wanting to snuggle up by the fire, now we get into some steamy stuff, right? So you're by the fire and now you're hot (laughs) and now you're hot. (laughs) And my first suggestion for this is like as hot as that fire is, it is, um, sexy center by Eva Charles. And Eva Charles has some other books that are kind of dark. And this one is, it's high angst. It's not a sweet little comfort read. It's high angst. There's a really strong conflict in there. But those love scenes, those will warm you right up. Mm -hmm. But it is, she is a doctor and he is a um, lawyer. She actually works with the uh, district attorney's office, I believe tons of baggage tons of tension but it starts off she knows people at the hospital where he's working and he's new to this hospital 
And so they set him up as they make her pose as a patient and she goes in with a very um, interesting medical problem (laughs) that he has to ask her about. So yeah, it is really, really good, but definitely one of those that um, will keep you warm on a cold night. Right. And my recommendation in this category, first, I'm going to tell you guys, we do not have ads. We do not have advertisers. You don't have to listen to commercials, but sometimes you're going to have to listen to me talk about my own books. So I apologize, but not really. Um, So what I'm recommending is Off the Clock, which is by me. And if you're new to erotic romance, I feel like this is a good book to start with because erotic romance can get wild, you guys. And I feel like this one kind of even though it's very, very, very steamy. Don't, don't get me wrong on that. Um, it eases you into it. Um, so the backstory of this one or the back cover of this one is it's a, at a sex therapy Institute. So my main character, Marin Rush loves studying sex, but doing it is another story. Um, so in the research lab, her lack of practical knowledge didn't matter, but now that she's landed a job at the Grove, which is a high end experimental sex therapy Institute, she can't ignore the fact that the person most in need of sexual healing might be her. Um, and then Dr. Donovan West, her new hotshot colleague, couldn't agree more. Donovan knows that Marin's clients are going to eat her alive unless she gets some hands-on experience. And if she fails at the job, he can say goodbye to a promotion. So he assigns her a list of R-rated tasks to prepare for her wild clientele at the Grove's X-Wing. But some of those tasks are built for two. And when he finds Marin searching for a candidate to help her check off her list, Donovan decides that there's only one man for the job, him. As long as they keep their erotic off-the-clock activities strictly confidential and without strengths, no one will get fired or worse, get attached. So... This one was a fun one to write. It's sex therapist. People are coming in for, you know, sex issues and stuff, but she has no experience. So she's getting really kind of, you know, uptight about things and not sure, you know, how to handle it. And so he is going to help her through that. And that means they get to have lots and lots of steamy scenes together. So if you want to try an erotic romance and you don't want to jump into like BDSM or full out kink and stuff, it's, you know, and it did win an award. So it, other people liked it. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna brag on Ronnie here because first of all, yes, it's it's a great erotic romance, and in true Ronnie Loren fashion, there is deep characters and a great amount of angst and all that. But when she's all like, "Oh, it did win an award," no, it won like a top award in our industry. And again, as I mentioned in the other. Um, episode she has another statue that we had to stand there and watch this poor statue get felt up by tsa mm-hmm. and swabbed before we could get on a plane so she's very modest about her awards and i don't like her to be that way so yes it won an award because it's an awesome book thank you i'm modest except that they, those awards sit and stare at me while i'm <laughs> and they should. Doing my writing, but you should pat right. them on the head every day and right be like, Greet them. hey what's up um Okay, so that is our comfort read, Rex, of, um, for this episode, but we still have our favorite part of each episode is our rad reading Rex of the week. So these are books that we love so much. We want them on our main list um, for the rad rec page. So you can find this on our website, but Dawn, what is your rad reading rec of the week? So my rad reading rec of the week but it makes me so happy when I get that right the first time and we don't have to <laughs> so, <edit>. many <laughs> so many R's. So many R's. And is Secondhand Sinners by Genevieve Lynn. And full disclosure, Jenny is a really good friend of ours, but this book is awesome. And it is, um, it's a small town with big secrets type book. 
And it is the story of Emily, who is the struggling mother of a special needs child. She's kind of estranged from her family. And she is definitely estranged from Miller, who she left whenever she left this town. And it is the story of her coming back to her hometown because her brother has been arrested. And of course, she ends up running into Miller and all of these secrets of the past get brought back up and you find out the reason she left and how things worked out for him. And it is very much a twisted family drama in high angst, like super high, super high angst, super high tension. And I was reading this um, as a critique partner before it was even published. And I was reading it on my laptop, sitting in bed at night. My husband was gone for the night. Both of the kids were already in bed. I'm sitting there, I'm at this super like full tension moment. And all of a sudden I hear, (sighs) and I looked up and my son's face was on the other side of my laptop and I just screamed. And so I screamed, he screamed, his sister comes running out of her bedroom because we're clearly under attack. Both dogs jumped up and are running around barking because there are intruders somewhere. So yes, very high angst, lots of tension, great book. Awesome. And my wreck of the week is my life in France by Julia child. I usually don't tell you which format you have to read this in, but you have to read this in audiobook. <laughs> so that is my assignment. Do this. Ronnie in has audio. spoken. Yeah, do this one in audio. Um, so if you've watched the movie, Julie and Julia, this is what the Julia parts were based on this book. So although, you know, she eventually become Julia child on TV and the Julia child that we all know Back in 1948, she moved to France with her husband, who was part of the government. Um, And so she was brand new to the area. She didn't speak any French. She didn't have, you know, she was a housewife. And so she moved with her husband, Paul, and she wanted to immerse herself in French culture. So she started learning everything she could about it. And she started taking lessons. And it's all about the journey that she went through putting together the book of the mastery and the art of French cooking. So it is so warm and wonderful and just just a straight up comfort read so even if you've never watched an episode of julia child which i hadn't i mean i knew of her and i'd seen the movie julia and julia but there's just a warmth that comes through from her personality like you just know that you would want to know her um and i think that they did a really good job you know in the book showing that so it's when she's in her late 30s early 40s as well which i really liked because she started her whole new career in her late thirties, early forties, which as a lady in her early forties, I find very inspiring that you can become Julia child. Still, we still have time, John. Yes. We've got plenty of time, plenty, plenty of time. We can still be Julia child. So, and Julia was just so like zesty was the word I kept thinking of when, you know, just, she would be fun. You just want to be friends with her. So if you're looking for something that's a really upbeat, positive read, um, go with the audio. If you don't go with the audio, I'll forgive you, but go with the audio. Um, and then she won't forgive you. She will know. <laughs> and then go back and watch Julia and Julie and Julia, um, which brings me back full circle to an earlier episode when we were talking about Nora Ephron books because Nora Ephron did that movie. So it's a great time of the year or two to do this. I think it's just a cozy read and mm-hmm. then watch the movie. So that is my recommendation for the week. But that wraps up this episode, Don. The episode the universe did not want us to. No, I'm finish. still not convinced that when we finish <laughs> finish this with you guys, that when I go to the audio recordings, they're just going to be blank or it's going to be like demon voices or something. <laughs> so. Well, because those of you listening, um, 
y'all know that, you know, Ronnie accidentally electrocuted herself, but what you don't know is that was the, this is the third time we've had to record this episode because of other issues. So there's something about comfort reads that the world <laughs> is trying to prevent us from sharing. Yes. And we all need the comfort. So let us do it. But so if you want full show notes for this episode, you want to be able to click links to the books and everything we talked about without having to type it in and search. All you need to go to is radreadingpodcast.com. Every episode we have um, done is up there with all of the links. And then we would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to us and pass us along if you like our episodes and rate us an Apple podcast because that's how people find us. Um, and if you'd like to share with us your reading for comfort, we would love to know what you're reading because we're always looking for new recommendations. So you can hit us up on the Facebook page, which is at Rad Reading Podcast. Plus, there are some really adorable pictures of socks up there right now because we talked about our fuzzy socks. So if you have cute, fuzzy or non-fuzzy footwear, we're totally into that. Yeah, come share your socks. And join us next week because next week we'll be talking about one of my favorite topics, um, reader shame and how to become a shameless reader. So we're going to give you our top shameless recs. You know, those books we're supposed to be embarrassed about. Yeah. We'll be sharing those on a public podcast. So you've been warned um, next week. You probably don't want your children listening. So just be aware. Yes. Cause we are proud of our shameless reads. So <laughs> yes. probably don't need little ears in the room. Right. And until next time, you guys, we hope that every book you pick up is rad reading. Bye.